Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Okay Take two. We are back. We had a glitch there at 6 p.m. So we came on later. I think we got it all fixed. I don't think Wimkin caught. So I don't think we're on Wimkin. We lost the Wimkin channel. That's okay. We will put the replay up there after. If you were following before, you know what's going on. We had a misfire. But it looks like we're up and running on all platforms now, except Wimkin. Wimkin. And uh, if you weren't able to find us on Rumble earlier, well, now we should be up and running. So hopefully everything's okay. Let's start from the beginning, shall we? So much to share tonight. Tim Scott apparently going to make some sort of an announcement, which I didn't know about before, but could be coming uh, any time now, so we'll try to keep an eye open for that, and it looks like he might be endorsing Donald Trump. World Economic Forum closing statements today, talking about climate change, interest rates, wars, and Donald Trump. They don't like him. Not at all. Trudeau, devolution up in Nunavut. We'll tell you what devolution is. Alec Baldwin indicted today. And it was just pointed out to me that it's National Popcorn Day. So he's indicted for that shooting on the set of Rust on National Popcorn Day. Uh, Quaker recalling foods, recalling Quaker Oats, class action lawsuit there. Um, there was a death in an Amazon processing facility. Trump with the latest poll results. I don't think it'll surprise you, but it is unprecedented. Um, another Boeing jet incident safety issue. Kevin O'Leary, business dude testifying in front of a small business committee. Rich guy coming out swinging in favor of and in defense of small business. Sports Illustrated laying off a lot of people. We'll explain why that's happening. And the British Navy having just a little bit of trouble docking all that while... The U.S. launches, in conjunction with the U.K., another attack on Houthi positions from ships that they are patrolling the Red Sea with in order to keep those commercial shipping lanes open. So don't go away. I've got all that. Plus, the pilot chapters of a new anime cartoon series that we might be developing here the maverick knights series and if we do this you guys can uh, can participate and offer your input and help 
craft and forge the stories as uh, as we develop the characters and the plot lines so it can be an interactive thing. I'll show you what that's all about and more when we come back right after this. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, where shall we begin? Let's start with uh, the World Economic Forum tonight. They don't like Donald Trump there. It's pretty clear they have all been conspiring against him. All through the sessions this week at, in Davos, where the world's elites gathered to, I guess, come up with a, a timeline and a roadmap to the new normal. They, uh, they were very, they're, they kept expressing concerns about Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Here's the president of the World Economic Forum, not Klaus Schwab. This, this is the president of the WEF. In his and uh, part of his closing statement here, participants made significant progress on climate action, nature protection, and energy transition. The First Movers Coalition has grown to almost 100 companies, providing the world's largest demand signal for breakthrough climate technologies in high emission industry sectors such as steel and cement. And the World Economic Forum's Trillion Trees platform, that I know many of you are very committed to, announced our 100 companies pledging to conserve, restore, and grow 12 billion trees. The forum launched a network for, to mobilize clean energy investment for the Global South to help unlock an estimated 3 trillion needed for the energy transition. The Global Plastic Action Partnership welcomed Colombia and the Philippines, bringing the network of national action partnerships to 14. Technology, and particularly AI, was top of mind, and participants proposed balancing innovation and protection to ensure responsible development. The AI Governance Alliance announced a new global effort to increase AI access. 
The Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution that we have created expanded with new centers in Germany, Vietnam, and Qatar, and intends, amongst others, to launch also now a center in Ukraine, in Kiev. Uplink raised 43 million in funding to help early-stage impact entrepreneurs scale their people and planet-focused ventures. And the Global Collaboration Village, that I hope you all visited, demonstrated the potential of next-generation technology to drive inclusion and sustainability. None of these developments can be advanced without investments in people and equitable opportunities. <laughs> the Reskilling Revolution Initiative announced that it has reached more than 680 million people with opportunities for improving education skills and job opportunities. <laughs> and the Philippines, Vietnam, and Qatar have joined a growing network of 20 country accelerators focusing on human capital investments. The forum launched a new global gender <laughs> parity sprint to accelerate economic parity by 2030, engaging five industries and 15 country accelerators. The Edison Alliance <laughs> announced it has improved the lives of 784 million people through 320 initiatives across 127 countries on closing the digital divide. <laughs> okay, okay, la 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 la. You know, you know, it just came to mind. <laughs> it's like, forgive me. I'm just like, this guy's a fascist with a heart. <laughs> That's what they are. They're like. They're like, uh, they're woke Nazis. <laughs> oh, communo-fascists. <laughs> They'll oppress you with a smile. <laughs> yeah, equal misery for all. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. What can I say? This uh, this next dude, this is Christian Lindner. He's the uh, finance minister for Germany. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, they're real financial whiz kids. Um, <laughs> um, talking about climate change. You know what Trudeau's going to make people do now? If you If you got a pizzeria... And you have a wood-fired oven. You have to report your emissions. <laughs> yeah, he's going to force you to uh, report how much wood you burn, how much your emissions. I mean, come on, man. It's like it's just government regulation and uh, and control, control, control. That's all it is. Here's uh, here's this Christian Lindner guy. <laughs> Let's see what he has to say about the new normal. Here he is. To reinvent the German energy infrastructure and <laughs> supply in the last uh, 18 uh, months. And so we have uh, um, um, not uh, the uh, growth perspective uh, we are um, uh, expecting, but uh, our economy uh, has shown uh, this uh, resilience. Looking 
um, um, to what will come um, over the next years. Um, uh, Christine said, okay, we are in the process of normalization. Um, I would say we are <laughs> witnessing a new normal and 2023 marks this new normal. Um, think about the ways of artificial intelligence we all uh, have uh, discussing uh, here in Davos. Uh, think about the geopolitical tension and the threat of fragmentation we will have to deal with over the uh, next uh, years. Uh, the uh, higher debt levels after the pandemic and the energy price hikes, which um, has shrunk our fiscal space uh, to finance um, transformation. And um, uh, given the um, very little growth perspective of the uh, global economy, we have to answer the question how we will be able in the future to finance transition uh, by the uh, private capital markets and how to fight poverty around the world. So for me, it's not normalization. It is a new normal uh, which we have to be uh, prepared for and has 2023 given me hope, you asked. I would put it this way. It was a call for action because we have to rearrange some policies and probably we see a new need for structural reforms. Probably we are at the beginning of an era of new structural reforms. I have a good idea. If you want to, if you want to wipe out poverty, increase productivity, increase production overall, produce more, grow the world economy, lift all the boats up with a rising tide of prosperity, cut government red tape, get government out of the way, and uh, give people access to affordable energy, to fuel industry and keep people warm in minus 50 degree temperatures so that people don't die. That would, that would be a good start. Just saying that that's my, that's my thing. Here's uh, David Rubenstein. He is a U.S. lawyer and World Economic Forum board member and man, I'll tell you, he started to talk. He's, he's one of the guys who was talking about the U.S. election this year as, he, as they were laying out. This is their outlook for the economy for the coming year, what to expect. So this guy, he's talking about the election and the impact that the election will have on the economy. And then he's asked about Donald Trump. And, well, the response is predictable. Here we go. Um, the biggest risk for the U.S. economy is um, the usual risk that everybody has. Are we going to be in a war somewhere or something like that? Probably. Uh, another pandemic. But um, it's really like planet. we look in the mirror and the enemy is us. Because the biggest risk we really have is the dysfunction of the U.S. government. Our inability to pass appropriation bills that fund the government on time, the inability of the deal with the debt limit issues on time. Those are the biggest things that worry me whether the, at some point the U.S. government just can't get these issues done because of the, of the political problems we have in the country. And as a result, I, I worry more about that than other things in terms of the U.S. economy going forward. Uh, we will have a presidential election year and 
almost everything every candidate will say will probably not be true about what will happen in the future because they probably won't be able to get done what they say they're going to get done but it'll be interesting to watch but david a, a number of a number of leaders have expressed concern of what donald trump in the white house means for fragmentation for foreign policy right, right. is there any way that the rest of the world can trump proof their economies <laughs> Um, if somebody has a way to do that, I think they should uh, patent it and uh, probably sell it to somebody else. But it's be very difficult to do. Clearly, the biggest political change that occurred in the United States last year also was unpredictable or unpredicted, I should say. I don't think anybody outside of the Trump family would have predicted that Donald Trump would be indicted four times, 91 counts uh, on various indictments, and that his popularity would soar to the point where he has a reasonably good chance of locking up the Republican nomination by, by March, which is earlier than almost any contested presidential candidate um, has been able to lock up the Republican nomination. If he is nominated, it'd be the first time ever that a Republican party has nominated the same person three times in a row. He clearly has a following that many of the analysts missed, and I don't We're think no any kidding. court cases are likely to dis uh, change his uh, momentum. So I think um, people should, uh, recognize that uh, he's a serious political force and should not discount the fact that he could well be elected again, despite the fact that many people in Europe, where we are now, uh, are not really his biggest fans. And so I, I wouldn't uh, rule out his possibly getting elected again. Joe Biden shouldn't be discounted. He, he Obviously, we have two older <laughs> candidates. Um, people have suggested to me that I should run for president, but I say I'm only 74 and you need to be older to run. So... Um, <laughs> I, I do think, to be very serious, it'll be, it'll be a relatively close election. And, and it, the final comment is, in our country, in the last two presidential elections, 45 states out of the 50 voted exactly the same way in each of those two elections. Only five states voted differently. Those five states are Arizona, uh, Georgia, um, uh, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Those five states are the only ones that vote, voted differently in those two elections. Right now, Donald Trump is ahead in all five, of those, all five of those states. He lost all five of those states last time. Hillary Clinton lost those five states as well. Biden won them last time. So if the, everything will get down to those five states, and right now, uh, if the election were held today, uh, it would be difficult to see how Trump would lose that election today, but it's a long way away. And the most important thing you can say about presidential elections in our country is things change all the time, and we won't know for sure probably until a couple, about a month before the election where it's really going to go. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, he's right. Like, I, I think even at this point, there are a lot of political pundits. I don't even think the Democrats, I don't think even the Biden administration, I don't think they understand what's going on with Trump. They don't understand why he's still popular. They don't understand the movement. They don't understand any of it. They really, I don't think they do. They're also caught up in their own bubble, in their own, um, their own little world that they can't even begin to, to see or understand why people are so passionate about Donald Trump. It's actually pretty complicated. It's populism on steroids. It absolutely is. You want to talk about popularity... Look at these, look at this poll from today. Check this out. There he is with what, 70, 72% support within the party. 
People polled to see who they would support if they were to vote today. Republicans. Nikki Haley pulling up second and not with 9% tied with Ron DeSantis. And Aza Hutchison, zero. Zero <laughs> percent. Another candidate came in at five and 5% said they don't know. So you have uh, at most 10% sort of undecided. Even if the full 10% went to either Haley or DeSantis, they couldn't catch Trump. Impossible. So barring some major catastrophe, Trump's the guy. Okay. Uh, And they don't understand why. It's a combination of things. It's it's backlash. Again, it's uh, people wanting to give the, the, the big middle finger to not just Joe Biden, but all these elites sitting there in Davos this week, flying in on their private jets, burning up all that carbon fuel. Well, they tell you, make sure you report how much wood you burned in your wood-fired stove cooking that pizza. And you must buy an electric car. Were they tooling around in Davos and electric cars? Doubt it. And yet they sit there and still make these plans to dictate to the rest of us because they're fascists, economic fascists with hearts because they truly, truly care. (laughs) They're pathetic. Actually, and don't mistake this. I just I just read kind of some hate mail coming coming to me from somebody. I won't get into it. It doesn't really matter. But uh, they said, "F your capitalism." Well, you know what, man? Like, if you think that these guys are about free markets and capitalism, like they are about capitalism, but capitalism in a fascistic economic system, heavily socialist centrally planned this is not the free market don't mistake these people for free market capitalists they are not they are communo fascists neoliberal wokesters they do not advocate for free market capitalism they advocate for government controlled centrally planned economies where capital is funneled back up to the top to them leaving small mom-and-pop operations high and dry. Today, Kevin O'Leary posted this. He testified before a committee looking into the health of uh, small business in America. And, uh, you know, you know Kevin O'Leary, he's the business guy, Canadian, ran for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, but really spends, I think, the bulk of his time in the United States these days. He plays the markets. He invests in a lot of companies. He's very wealthy, a celebrity, Dragon's Den in Canada. I think he's on Shark Tank as well. He uh, smart. He's a smart guy. We've talked about him here on the show in a variety of ways, including his, his uh, visit to that uh, health clinic in um, Dubai where they injected him with stem cells. Anyway, that's another story. But here he is uh, sticking up for the little guy, which may surprise 
surprise you because I think Kevin O'Leary is, uh, you know, he's he's more of a free market capitalist than these communo-fascistic neoliberal wokesters in Davos. Anyway, here he is talking about the importance of small business. It's an honor to have uh, Kevin O'Leary, a.k.a. Mr. Wonderful, appear before the Small Business Committee today. Chairman Williams, ranking member Velasquez and members of the committee, thank you for giving me time to testify about the state of small business in America. I'm the chairman of O'Shares, an ETF indexing firm and chairman of O'Leary Ventures Management, a private equity and venture investment firm. As an investor, I support entrepreneurs at every stage of their journeys. I have dozens of family-run businesses in our investment portfolios. My definition of a small business is a private firm, often family-owned, that employs between five and 500 people. These are hardworking men and women that basically account for 60% of job creation in America. There is no denying they are the backbone of the economy. For decades, the U.S. economy has enjoyed historically low interest rates. Access to capital at low cost is always the key for funding receivables, capital expenditures, and making payroll. For small businesses in America, the majority of these services were provided by the network of over 4,000 regional banks. Almost a year ago, the network began to falter. Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank failed, and First Republic Bank was bailed out by taxpayers and then sold off to J.P. Morgan. This occurred while the Federal Reserve was raising rates at an unprecedented pace, from almost zero to the current 5.5% terminal rate. Regional banks immediately faced heightened scrutiny of their balance sheets and liquidity ratios, and now bank policies are under review by their regulators. The predictable reaction was for the banks to tighten their loan books. This was immediately felt by hundreds of thousands of small business owners in every sector and geography in America. Not only did their rates increase, but regional bank liquidity dried up too. In many cases now, they have to make use of the private shadow banking network at rates of 16 to 22%. At the same time, federal programs like the PPP had ended and the employee retention credit payments were suspended by the IRS in Q4 of 2023. To date, they have not resumed, and the whole ERC program is currently scheduled to end on April 15, 2025, or even sooner. Unfortunately, the majority of small business owners have no idea if they qualify for any of the programs inside of the Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, and Science Act, obviously, and Infrastructure Act. Small businesses do not have the resources to retain lobbyists, legal, and financial advisors that interpret the acts and manage the application process. If small businesses in America are responsible for 60% of domestic jobs, why aren't these acts written to spend 60 cents of every dollar on them, especially when their traditional sources of funding and government support programs have ended or been suspended? Instead, it looks to the market like the IRA, CHIPS, and Infrastructure Acts were written specifically for the S&P 500 companies that have no trouble accessing capital yet only create 40% of jobs in America, many of these in foreign subsidiaries. I would like to suggest some recommendations to the committee. Number one, create a payroll protection program to protect non-interest bearing payroll accounts in regional and community banks during the inevitable consolidations of over 4,000 regionals down to a market stable number. I first heard this idea from Senator Haggerty and I think it would be helpful. Number two, Work with the numerous agencies that are implementing both the IRA, CHIPS, and Infrastructure Acts to ensure small businesses receive their fair share of these programs. 
form a bipartisan council that advocates for small business in America that is always at the table when new policy is being considered. This would ensure that new government programs and laws are actually supporting small businesses and job creation in America. Thank you very much. Right on. In other words, to simplify that, Biden has his Inflation Reduction Act and he has the Chips and Science Act. He says those are meant to revitalize the economy, but the way they are written, it's complicated and it's written in a complicated way on purpose to rat, to tie everything up in red tape. When you are a small business, you can't get through that. It's very, very difficult. So you can't access the funds. You can't access the capital, which is about capitalism, right? You need capital in order to invest, in order to make things happen. You have to have cash flow. You need access to capital. And in this case, when I say capital, I mean cash, money in order to turn that into physical capital, which is machinery or, uh, you know, production facility, whatever, to invest in your, in your business. But if you're a small business, you can't get through all that government red tape because they've written the stuff so complicated. It's called a, um, an, a barrier to entry into an industry. Big corporations love that because they have big time lawyers and accountants who can sit and decipher what these, documents are what these rules are and then they can make sure that these big companies that they work for take advantage of the funding that is available well small businesses can't it's very difficult for them to deal with it if not impossible and that is by design to shut out the little guy and give all the capital to the big guys again because these communofascistic neoliberal wokesters they're all about globalism. They're all about corporate fascism, corporatocracy. Focus on the big companies. And yeah, you do need those big companies to create, you know, uh, uh, you know, sectors that can deal with big projects, whether it's the auto industry to produce uh, automobiles at scale so that they're cost effective or even businesses like SpaceX, where you're building rocket ships and you need massive amounts of capital, money, and physical capital in order to make all of that happen. So you need that stuff, but you also need that small business element in there in order to make sure that the economy is extremely prosperous because that helps fuel the, the other industries, the corporations. That's the thing that these guys in the long run miss. Small business makes up 60% of, you know, all the job creation in the United States and Canada, or at least it has traditionally. And they're casting Biden just kind of like pushing it to the side because he's in step with these guys in Davos. Trudeau, same thing. It's all about big companies, big companies, big companies. It's a mindset as well, you know, and, there, there has to be a place for small business, small and medium-sized businesses. Some of these small businesses aren't even that small. They're actually quite sizable. They have a lot of employees, but you have to get the government to create a, 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 a welcoming business environment that encourages investment, that encourages small business growth. During the pandemic, they just shut everybody down, kept the big stores open, the big companies open. 
you could go to the liquor store or to the weed store or to Costco or Walmart, but you couldn't go to Susie's shoe store in the strip mall down the street or the even the variety store on the corner. Anyway, I digress. That's Kevin O'Leary. I liked what he had to say there. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was exceptional. Now, do I trust him entirely? Well, he's a politician and a businessman, so he's got two strikes against him. As far as some people are concerned, I like the guy. I do. I'm kind of weirded out by his stem cell injection there and. <laughs> Oh, uh, I, anyway, the youth juice, he got the youth juice and he made a video and posted that and we shared that with you. Uh, let's take a little break here. We'll come back and we'll talk about what the situation in the Middle East and then we'll get into Justin Trudeau and uh, what he's seeing coming up for the next federal election. And I know you don't want to miss that. Fighting the Great Reset by leading the Great Great Resistance. Maverick News. The antivirus programs for your mind. And I almost forgot to show you this, and I shouldn't because I know you guys are going to want to see this. Also from Davos, uh, World Economic Forum today, uh, this posted uh, a little forum that they had talking about things like Disease X. which we're being told tonight in media reports that disease X is not a real thing. It's just a theoretical thing. It's just uh, a way for them to discuss the next pandemic. Should it come along? So they're saying it's not a real thing. It's just uh, what they're calling it. So they can have a discussion about it. Of course, a lot of other people think that it's not just a, a discussion. It's them talking about, the plan <laughs> so that they can do it all to us again. So whatever your view is on it, you can marry that with what I'm about to show you, which is these guys sitting around yakking about, you know, bio digital tracking of people so that they can figure out whether you've been vaxxed or not, or what you, what the status of your health is. So that I, for why, so they can decide whether you get into a, a restaurant or whether you can you, you can go to school or get a job I'm telling you this this right here this is the stuff that scares the crap out of me this is the stuff that i get my back up about because this is i think the most dangerous stuff of all because it ties right back into what i got the most upset about during the pandemic which was the lockdowns 
the forced this and the forced that, the 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 erosion of our rights, the rights, the stripping of our rights, the end run around the Constitution, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the Bill of Rights, everything, all your rights out the window. And here they are, these world elites sitting around talking about doing it to us again, but more efficiently now. Why? Because in order to open an account, you need to have an ID. Right. And um, I have to say that when we when I started this job, why? Because in order to open an account, you need to have an ID. Right. And um, I have to say that when we when I started this job, there were actually very little countries in Africa or Latin America that had one ubiquitous mm -hmm. type of ID, and certainly that <clears throat> it was digital, and certainly that it was biometric. And now uh, we've really worked with all our partners to actually help that being, uh, um, I mean, to grow this, and. The interesting part of it is that, you know, yes, it is very necessary for financial services, but not only. So, you know, it's also good for school enrollment. It's also good for health who actually got a vaccination or not. Uh, it's, it's very good to actually to get your subsidies, you know, from the government. So this has not only effect to the financial services. It's a very important issue. So, Why? Because yeah. Uh, no, thanks, man. No, that's health stuff. That's confidential stuff, as far as I'm concerned. All right, I know you go to the bank. You need to, you need to check in. They need to know who you are. ID, yes. Health status, all your medical records. That's between you and your doc. Period, as far as I'm concerned. But again, that's me. That's the thing that. As far as I'm concerned, we need to focus on more than anything else is preserving our rights, our right to privacy, our right to free speech, our right to free expression, our right to travel. And we need our rights. What good is life if you live without freedom? Just tell it is saying it was for me. It was like during the pandemic, the lockdowns, that to me was horrific. And uh, it's, it's, I have to admit, it has affected me. It will until the day I die. It's changed me. It's changed our world, our country. It's changed all the people. Something, it's like a switch was flipped and everything just changed we have to stand in opposition to that stuff man I, I i have no problem with efficiency i don't even have a problem with digitization but i absolutely stand for the preservation of our rights and freedoms it's what it's all about man So um, Biden met with Netanyahu today. Oh, but wait a minute. Let me backtrack here just a little bit. This clip up tonight, I don't know a lot about this or the context for it, but this is a clip where Donald Trump says he avoided a nuclear holocaust when he was president and saved millions of lives during 
Um, this was during his deposition um, in his New York civil fraud case. So this is a clip that came out and it's posted tonight. I have it here for you. He says, I was very busy. I considered this the most important job in the world, saving millions of lives. He goes on and says, I think you would have had a nuclear holocaust if I didn't deal with North Korea. I think you would have had a nuclear war if I weren't elected. And I think you might have a nuclear war now if you want to know the truth. So let's bring up uh, the Donald and listen to what he has to say in that regard. This is, uh, in, in a way, unsettling, kind of scary, not that surprising, really. And the thing about Trump, the way he talks, to me, it's like, how much weight should we give this? Is him just, is this just him exaggerating? But I, I don't think he really thought, he probably didn't think this was going to get that much play. But here it is tonight. Here's Donald Trump in this, this clip that I think is going to go viral. Z for the company. In a way, yeah. Yeah, I think you could say it. It's another way of saying it. I was very busy. I was, I considered this the most important job in the world, saving millions of lives. I think you would have had nuclear holocaust if I didn't deal with North Korea. I think you would have had a nuclear war if I weren't elected. And I think you might have a nuclear war now, if you want to know the truth. Uh, I'm not going to use my seven hours on nuclear war, but no, can, I, I, I know that. No. Can, can I ask, though, um, it sounds like maybe a few things might bubble up. You said you were very rarely involved. Were there things that sort of came to your attention during your presidency that you recall? I can virtually not think of anything. Uh, I would say the, the thing that I was most involved is, in, is telling them just don't do deals. We don't need deals. We have a lot of property. They're great properties. Run them. And, you know, we have great properties. We have the Mona Lisa's of properties. We have properties that make money, but you can sell them for many, many times because of the the quality of the property, like a Turnberry in Scotland, I could sell that. That's like that's like selling a painting, a painting uh, on a wall that sells for two hundred and fifty million dollars and doesn't make income. It just sits on a wall, but it sells for numbers. I have I have literally I have some of the greatest pieces of property in the world, and they sell as uh, Mar-a-Lago. Some of the pr things I own in Europe. Uh, some of the things I own in New York, even like a Trump Tower is uh, 57th and 5th. It's the best location. 40 Wall Street is the best location. Great building. I, I have great assets. Uh, I was never so interested in buying, as an example, a, uh, a warehouse building in Brooklyn, which you'd look at, you know, X times the rent. Uh, I have assets that, that will which if I ever sold them, I don't want to sell any of them. But if I ever sold them, if I ever put some of these things up for sale, I'd get numbers that were uh, were staggering. Mar-a-Lago would be a case. I think Turnberry would be a case in Scotland. It had, it's uh, a part of the Rota. The Rota is, I believe, seven, the seven courses that play the British Open, which is called the Open Championship, which is the biggest of all tournaments. And that's one of the places, uh, one of the seven, I believe it's seven, uh, that are approved for it. And they've been approved for a hundred years. It's, they've been approved for a long time. You don't just get on the list. And uh, they had four British Opens there at Turnberry. And they had what what is considered to this day, the Duel in the Sun, uh, the greatest tournament ever played. I don't know if you know golf, but 
Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson. And, uh, you know, these are things that have a, a tremendous value to, to rich people that, you know, if it makes two million or three million, uh, and therefore it would be worth 30 million or 40 million, I think you could sell it for four or five or 600 million because it's, uh, it's a painting. They're the Mona Lisa's, they're the, 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 the Renoir's of, of property, many of my properties. And somehow, uh, I wasn't interested in properties that didn't have that intrinsic value or they couldn't have if they were properly run, in many cases, rebuilt. I rebuilt 40 Wall Street as an example and took it. It was an empty building. Okay, so enough of that. But uh, you got the point. Most important point, point coming out of that, of course, is, I, to me, is him saying that he thinks he was able to avert a nuclear holocaust. Makes you wonder how close we really were, because there's a guy who was the president. He would know. He was right in there. Now, he could be exaggerating to just try to make himself look good, but that's not really the forum, I wouldn't think. But I don't know, man. I just don't know with, with Donald Trump how much is exaggeration and how much is an accurate portrayal. I, you can assess for yourself. You heard what he had to say. So Biden did meet with Netanyahu. They had a discussion about everything going on in Gaza. They have two different visions. Netanyahu has rejected, at least at this point, the two-state solution, saying, no, it can't work. And I wouldn't take that statement from Netanyahu just at that level. You need to dig down a little deeper to understand why he's taking that position, I think. I, I, I get why he's saying it. It's because the, the two sides in the conflict are so entrenched and polarized. And there's such a history with the Palestinians rejecting the two-state solution that I think the Israelis, Netanyahu, and those aligned with him, the hawks, are fed up. They're frustrated. They don't want to deal with it anymore. They just want to, they want to be able to control it all so that they neutralize the threat. And, of course, get the land and just be done with it. And the other side wants to do the same thing with Israel. They want those guys gone. So that's not a solvable situation unless you let one side or the other steamroller over the other. And I don't think that's acceptable to the rest of the world. So we'll see how that goes. I don't think that's going to play out. Biden's still committed to the two-state solution, or so he says. I'm not sure that he's the guy or his administration is the, the right one to take us down a road to peace and a resolution of this conflict, though. Because while all that's going on, you have the entire Middle East blowing up. And I said when he was, you know, before he was elected, I said he wants to go to war so bad. Hillary Clinton wanted to go to war, too. You could see it. You could taste it. You could smell it. I was observing it in media reports when she was running against Donald Trump. The Dems and the neocons wanted to go to war 
Back in 2016, Trump interrupted their plan. Biden gets in. What the hell has happened since then? Everything has exploded. But it isn't just because of Biden. It's more complex than that. Yeah, they, the United States under the, under the Biden regime, yeah, they wanted war. But I think the other side, too, you've got your Russia, China, Iran, your Axis over there, they have their interests in mind, too. And so they see the positioning of the United States. So they're taking even proactive measures, I would say. One of those proactive measures to escalate things and to suck the United States in to a conflict that, honestly, the U.S. cannot afford and probably can't ultimately win was these attacks on the Red Sea by the Houthis out of Yemen Another trap, this attack on Israel on October 7th, as far as I'm concerned, that was a trap too. Suck the U.S. in. Suck them in. Come to Papa. The U.S. is spread too thin. The allies don't have enough firepower. They don't have enough resources. They don't have enough munitions. I mean, we're, we're looking at a situation where they're running thin on ammunition in Ukraine. They can't get the financing set up to keep Israel defended or operational militarily, however you want to look at it. And if things escalate you know, with China and Taiwan, the U.S. has got a real serious problem over there because the logistics alone are way complicated and extremely expensive and difficult to execute and you have your military spread out all over the globe. Very dangerous situation. So today, people are wondering where everything is at. They are scaling back some of these operations in Gaza. It looks like it's because the United States has put pressure on Israel to pull back, to, to scale it back, because they know they're losing the information war, the PR war. So it is having an effect. It's not the tail wagging the dog anymore entirely. You hear that you hear these pundits saying that Netanyahu has more influence in Washington than Biden does. That's because Biden has no influence. He's not running anything. But I'm not sure that Netanyahu truly has more influence over the governmental operations in the United States than the people who are truly pulling the strings in the U.S. And don't think for one minute that Netanyahu is the guy dictating to the United States. They have influence, to be sure, because Strategically, it's important to have Israel there for the United States, for the West, for NATO countries, for all the liberal democracies that are trying to spread their ideology around the world and secure that Middle East oil as a stable energy source and the, uh, the flotation device life preserver for the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. So it's extremely important to keep Israel there for the United States just for geopolitical and economic reasons. No question about that. In APAC, yeah, they have a lot of influence in the United States too as a lobby group, but I told you the other night, they're not even in the top 10. There are lots 
thousands of lobby groups. It's not that simple, folks. It's just not that simple. Israel, yeah, they're powerful. They have a powerful lobby. No question about it, but it's more complicated than that. So tonight, the United States has launched more attacks against locations in Yemen where the Houthis had missile installations set up where they were firing from. So the U.S. Uh, launched attacks on those. And let's go to John Kirby now in the White House. He's uh, he's talking about this very post-conflict Gaza and what governance there needs to look like and the importance of uh, an independent Palestinian state for long-term security, not just for the Palestinian people, but for the Israeli people as well. Currently, of course, we're rightly focused, as I said in the opening statement, on making sure Israel has what it continues to has, have what it needs to defend itself. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, John. Um, so you continue to reiterate the administration's policy that you support a two-state solution. Senator Elizabeth Warren says that if Netanyahu opposes that, then we need to question why we are supporting the Netanyahu government. So why is the U.S. supporting a government that opposes U.S. policy? I'm not sure what the context means uh, of supporting the government, but let's just take it, I'm going to assume, it's meant in the context of this war they're fighting. Um, it is certainly supporting these, we're certainly supporting the Israeli governments to defend themselves, but it's really bigger than that. It's about supporting the Israeli people's right to exist, right to be a nation. I mean, again, you don't have to look any further than the 2017 manifesto of Hamas to see what their ultimate plans are. They want to wipe the country off the face of the uh, of map. So we're defending Israel's right to defend itself. Uh, the Israeli people get to decide who represents them, who their elected officials are. We don't decide that. Um, and we will always work with whoever the Israeli people decide to put in uh, into power and government. We'll always uh, work with them, regardless of the differences, uh, maybe in, on, on political issues. Uh, they chose this government. This is the government that is uh, in charge of conducting warfare against Hamas. We're going to make sure that they have what they need, in addition to making sure, as I said in the opening statement, that we're doing everything we can to alleviate the humanitarian suffering in Gaza. Warren's not alone in expressing these concerns. Is the president worried that, given um, what Netanyahu has said about opposing a Palestinian state, it could complicate the efforts to pass the supplemental? The president's under uh, two things, and under no illusions of how uh, elusive a, a two-state solution has been um, and how much hard work there's going to be ahead for all of us uh, to try to get there. Uh, on, the, on the supplemental, again, I don't want to negotiate here in public. Uh, we believe that we're making progress here in terms of working in a bipartisan way with, uh, with senators. Um, and uh, we'll see where this goes. But, uh, uh, but uh, the, the president comes away from the meeting with congressional leaders uh, the other day. Largely, that was meeting about Ukraine and bipartisan support on Ukraine, but that they understand uh, uh, the, the urgency of, us, of supporting Israel as well. Thanks. Um, thanks, John. Uh, you've said that, or you said yesterday, that the U.S. is taking away capabilities from the Houthis with each and every one of these strikes and making it harder for them to continue to propagate these attacks. Can you quantify that progress, describe that? I would leave it to the Pentagon to go through their battle damage assessment. After every strike, um, they'll, they'll do an assessment on how successful it was. Um, 
they believe that they have had good effects on degrading some of these Houthi capabilities. But clearly, and the president alluded to this yesterday, they still have some offensive capability and um, uh, we're gonna keep uh, taking the actions we believe we need to take to defend ourselves. I, I couldn't give you a percentage that's really a, a better question for US Central Command or for DOD to speak to. And you also said yesterday the US has additional options available to take on the Houthis. What is the administration waiting for to use those other options? Is there some red line or something that would happen? I don't think it'd be fair to say we're waiting on anything. I mean, we've been we've been taking uh, shots as needed, including this morning, uh, while you know three anti-ship cruise missiles were sitting on the rails ready to go, and we knocked them out before they had a chance to launch them. And we also uh, designated the Houthis as a specially designated global terrorist. That allows us some additional economic levers that we didn't have available to us before. Uh, and we'll keep reviewing our options going forward. Uh, again, I'll say it, uh, the, the, the Houthis need to stop these attacks. They can make that choice. Clearly, they've made opposite choices. So we have choices to make too. And, and we have options available to us as well. Uh, we'll continue to explore those options. Clearly one of the options uh, that we are and will continue to take uh, are in the military realm if needed. Okay. Now it's this is resulting in escalation, right? We're seeing it in the Middle East. I'll tell you this though, the United States, the UK, NATO, the West, better walk, tread very, very carefully. I was looking at some numbers, capabilities. The United States is a formidable force. They have a formidable Navy. 370 ships, I believe, in total. Something like that. So that's sizable. Okay? The Russia, comparable. China, comparable. You start adding up the... Just look, look, look at what these other countries have just in terms of sheer numbers, just the navies alone. And the United States gets with, with its allies. I think they get into some serious trouble pretty quickly if, if you get into an actual third world war, kinetic war. When you start looking at these numbers, especially because the United States is so spread out already. The, U, the, the UK, Britain, the once mighty British Navy, not that mighty anymore, about 70 ships. That's about it. And then today we're, we're seeing this. You have the uh, HMS Chittingfold and the HMS Bangor. Uh, yeah, they, they Bangored all right. They banged it together. Um, <laughs> uh, they were birthing in Bahrain and instead of birthing, they banged them up, collided. Here's the video. Hey, hey, what the hell? <laughs> Jesus, are you serious? <laughs> oh my God. Oops. I guess he didn't take the um, the boating course. <laughs> or maybe even maybe he's like the uh, captain of the Exxon Valdez. 
had a little too much cheer for getting behind the wheel. I don't know, man. Oh, I don't know. It really happened. That's what you call military precision. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, pray, pray that we don't go to war. Fighting the Great Reset by leading the Great Great Resistance. Maverick News. The antivirus programs for your mind. Okay, so. Special treat for you. I have three videos ready to roll for you. I'll roll them at different times through the, the rest of this broadcast. These are pilots for a series that I think we will produce here, probably. Probably going to call it the Maverick Knights or the Maverick Man series. I'm not sure yet. Um, I didn't write all of these entirely. Um, there was some additional input. Uh, and I want, I want to run these for you tonight because I want you guys to participate. If, if we do this, and I think we're going to, uh, you can participate. I'm thinking that this can become interactive and you guys can play a role in this and, and be actual characters as well in, in the storyline as we produce these animated comics. So uh, here we go. Let's, this, is, this is the very first one that was done as a, as a pilot. I'll run this one for you. This is uh, Maverick Man. This is the, the, the idea, the concept behind Maverick Man and the introduction of that character. And then you guys can weigh in in the chat and tell me what you think. Here we go. The pilot for Maverick. In the bustling city of New York, a mild-mannered journalist named Richard Paul lived a double life. By day, he would delve into the depths of corruption, exposing the truth through his powerful words. But when the sun set, Richard transformed into the enigmatic and fearless superhero known as Maverick Man. Dressed in a sleek black and red super suit, adorned with a bold letter, M, on his chest, Maverick Man fought for one thing above all else, freedom. He believed in the power of the people and dedicated his life to protecting their rights and liberties. One fateful day, as Richard sifted through classified documents, he stumbled upon a sinister plot. The Satanic World Economic Forum's notorious villain, Klaus Schwab, had devised a malevolent plan to wreak havoc upon the city. He had created a nuclear-powered electric car, designed to explode upon arrival in New York, causing unimaginable destruction. Without hesitation, Maverick Man sprang into action. 
He raced through the city streets, his superhuman abilities allowing him to navigate the urban jungle with ease. As the clock ticked relentlessly, he managed to locate the vehicle, ready to detonate at any moment. With a swift and precise motion, Maverick Man disarmed the explosive device, saving the city from certain doom. But as he celebrated his triumph, Klaus Schwab managed to slip through his fingers, disappearing into the shadows. The people of New York rejoiced, grateful for the superhero who had once again protected their freedom. Richard Paul, however, knew that his work was far from over. Determined to bring Klaus Schwab to justice, he vowed to continue his pursuit, no matter the cost. As the sun set on the city that night, Maverick Man stood atop a towering skyscraper, his cape billowing in the wind. With unwavering determination, he whispered to himself, this is not the end, Klaus Schwab. The fight for freedom has only just begun. And so, the story of Maverick Man and his relentless battle against evil would continue. With every step, he would inch closer to uncovering the truth behind Klaus Schwab's sinister plans. For as long as freedom was threatened, Maverick Man would be there, ready to protect and defend, until justice prevailed. To be continued. <laughs> Two more of those coming up during the broadcast. I'm just looking in the uh, in the comments here. Uh, so uh, that that was the first concept. Uh, I think that the character gets polished a little bit better in the next one. So stay with me. There's a lot more ahead. Don't go away. Greetings brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals. individuals. Defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible. Trusted. Grounded in reality. Maverick News. Maverick News. Defending free speech. Free speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. vibrations. Our quest continues. The truth is out there.
Hello. You will need to deposit another 10 cents to continue your call. E.T. phone home. And what is that in the sky? Is it a bird? Is it a UFO? No, it's just a plane. On fire. <laughs> just, <clears throat> yeah. Whatever. Just another plane on fire. Just another Boeing airplane burning up. First, we had the uh, <laughs> that blowout just flying along. Then, you know, the window just blows out. Off, you know, winging off to some sunny destination for a winter getaway. And, and now <laughs> a Boeing 747 cargo plane has made headlines last night. It executed an emergency landing after witnesses spotted flames emanating from the aircraft. The Federal Aviation Administration already probing Boeing following that Alaska Airlines incident earlier this month that I just told you about. Out goes the window. According to reports, flight 5Y09 or Fiverr en route to Louise Munoz Marin International Airport in Puerto Rico encountered an engine malfunction shortly after departing from Miami. Thankfully, the crew adeptly followed standard procedures, ensuring a safe return to Miami International Airport. So Atlas Air did issue a statement and affirmed their commitment to safety. <laughs> <laughs> noting that a comprehensive inspection would be conducted to pinpoint the cause of the malfunction. Let's take a look at this, shall we? From an observer's perspective, an amateur videographer caught the incident on video. Oh my God, it's on fire. Oh my God. Sorry. Holy crap. It's on fire. Oh my God. Mom. Oops. Holy shit. I hope they're okay. I wonder if they're doing an emergency. Oh my god. No, it's still doing it. It's still doing it. Oh my god, it's on It's on fire. It's on fire. Yes, it is. So this happened at 10:22 p.m. Eastern time yesterday. The aircraft Swiftly went to Miami Airport, back to Miami, uh, at 10.30 p.m., according to the FAA. And then a preliminary investigation began. Um, and there are reports that there was a softball-sized hole above the number two engine on the Atlas airplane. So who knows what happened? Maybe a bird strike? I don't know. But... Uh, that's pretty scary stuff, man. As the news unfolded, a resident of Miami captured that whole thing, as you saw, on video. And the reaction? Understandable. In fact, I'm surprised it wasn't more dramatic. Instead of like, oh my God, it probably went a holy F. Footage shows the plane streaking across the night sky, as you saw. And it's gone viral. So... You saw it here. 
And this stuff happens, I think, more often than people realize. I was on a plane one time. This is a true story. I, and it looked like there was water flowing over the wing and splashing all over the, the one engine. And I called the, the flight attendant over and I pointed out the window and I said, uh, I was right near the wing and I said, uh, I think maybe you have a fuel leak. <laughs> and they were looking at it. And uh, sure enough, after a few minutes, they realized I was right. And I shot video and it was a fuel leak. And we had to make an emergency landing. We're coming back from Jamaica and we made an emergency landing. I called my newsroom at the time. Get this. They didn't want the story. Yeah. I had this exclusive story about an emergency landing fuel leak. It was splashing all over the engine. We probably could have blown up. They shut the engine down. We made an emergency landing. We had to stay there overnight. Um, we landed in Florida. Yeah, we were lucky. And the newsroom didn't want the story. You know why? Because the wire service didn't have it. It's true. Could have had this exclusive thing. Now, we could they could have fed it up to the wire service, but I was on vacation and I was calling from a remote location. This was sort of in the days sort of before the internet, but I had ways to get the video to them. And uh, they were like, uh, no, I don't think so, Rick. Uh, it doesn't sound that serious. The assignment editor at the time, he just wasn't cluing into what I was telling him. It was, it was a good story. Anyway, for the day. Uh, that's my tale, and it's true. <clears throat> What else do we have for you tonight? We have, well, we saw that poll on Trump. There's also this other poll that shows that Donald Trump is now more popular in Canada than Justin Trudeau. So that's the truth as well. And you know what else we have? We have mass layoffs at Sports Illustrated. Well, why would they have mass layoffs at Sports Illustrated? Aren't they popular? They have the swimsuit edition. Yeah, they still do. But here you are, mainstream media reporting tonight that there are other mainstream media entertainment magazines, sports entertainment, Sports Illustrated. They have to lay off a whole bunch of people. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the publishing company that currently owns the magazine. Laying off at least 100 people. And I'll tell you why. It's because the publishing business is under pressure because of the internet. You have to change your business model. Most of these magazines out there today, generally speaking, they don't make money. They don't do the business they used to do. People don't buy magazines like they used to. Everything's online now. And when you're publishing a printed magazine or anything printed there's a lot of weight there to ship around it's a very difficult business to be in the old business models don't really work you just you know they're at the newsstands still they're in supermarkets drug stores magazines but they just don't sell the bigger problem though really is if you go back what was it was it last year or the year before 
that Sports Illustrated put a transgender model on the cover for their swimsuit edition. That rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, just like Bud Light, and I think it's hurt their brand. Sports Illustrated did draw a, a headlines last fall after the tech news outlet Futurism reported that it appeared SI had published AI-generated stories, photos, and authors. Yeah. Faking it and not making it with transgender models doesn't fit the brand. You're being politically correct. Now, you know, see, the thing is, that's really what it's about. It's like they're, it doesn't fit the brand. You could have transgender models, but you should create another magazine for that, in my humble opinion. Because the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, that was all about heterosexuality, man. That was like a Playboy without the nudity. But basically is what it was. And it was one edition a year. The rest of the year was baseball, soccer, <laughs> hockey. And then one issue of swimsuits. And then you screwed it up for all the red-blooded American males out there who still like to look at beautiful women in bikinis. Duh, it's, it's not that complicated. That's also why you see Victoria's Secret going back to sexy. Because sex sells. And it's not that simple to recondition people's brain cells and attitudes and their social conditioning so that they start to like plus size models. There's a market for that. Go make another magazine just for that. You'll sell them. Because some people want to see that. Do your If it's viable, do your tra transgender thing. I'm just saying, it's not on brand. That's why it doesn't work. That's why you're laying people off tonight. It's not that complicated. Even here, look at this. This is another story. I'm not sure what to make of this. I haven't fully formed an opinion on this. But I, I, you know, this is uh, Maxim magazine. This is Yahoo News, America Online. They use Yahoo. And it says right there, oops, I got to come back to that headline. Canadian model poses for Maxim magazine with ostomy bag. Uh, okay, but, you know, like... I get it, but it's not really on brand, in my opinion. Like, I, I don't know. I understand what you're trying to do. And, you know, I kind of tip my hat to you. It's like you're trying to say that people can live full lives, even if they have um, medical conditions or whatever. Okay. But. People are people are people are people, and people are the way people are. 
get ready to lay people off at maxim if they keep on trying to do politically correct things it's just the reality of things that's what they they went through at uh victoria's secret i mean they've got other problems too because you know they were kind of tied in with the whole epstein thing and modeling and sex scandals and sexual harassment and stuff like that too which has sort of come out but that the executives over there have figured out that if they want to save the brand they've got to go back to doing sexy things in the sort of the more cliched ways in sort of the the old victoria's secret vein playboy vein with that all-american very cliched and because i'm saying cliched some people might say sexist uh kind of uh vein because that's what sells just does just being honest not taking a stand just being honest okay Japan successfully lands a spacecraft on the moon. The smart lander for an investigating moon called SLIM. It's, uh, it's up there. Testing new technologies for pinpoint landings and blah, blah, blah. So I know they've been talking about this for the past... Uh, couple of days making headlines but it's it made it so maybe keep an eye on that if there's anything terribly interesting to report on that front we'll bring that up maybe tomorrow justin trudeau in nunavut today that's in the Northwest Territories, way, way, way up in the Great White North for all of our American friends who maybe don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Nunavut is the newest territory added to the Canadian map, which was sort of redrawn. How many years ago was it now? Maybe 10? Maybe a little longer ago. Can't keep my date straight on it. But what's going on is something called devolution. What is devolution? Devolution is... The federal government handing over responsibility for certain areas of governance, like airports, um, land management, wildlife preservation, um, education, healthcare, things of that nature. So the federal government, Canada, is still presiding as the federal governing body but allowing the people of Nunavut, First Nations, to take a more active role in governing themselves, bringing decision-making to the local or regional level and allowing them to administer and, and dictate for themselves, determine their own destiny in a more meaningful way, I suppose. Uh, People have viewed this in a variety of different ways. I'm not sure exactly what to make of it because we don't have really the depth of detail on this agreement that uh, I think I, I would like to have so that I fully understand it because I can't fully understand it. I don't have all the information. 
They're not providing all of it, but more and more it will come out. This has been a process that has been evolving, if you want to use that word, um, for a number of years now. That's the, the creation of Nunavut as a territory is, uh, you know, has been a large part of the process here. Uh, interesting. We'll just show you the, uh, the signing ceremony first. And then I'll show you, though, where Trudeau's headspace is with regard to this. So here they are today signing the documents. And, uh, you know, I think the people up there, the, the communities are happy. About this. See, it smiles all the way around. This is um, just a change in the, the government is going to function. But don't think for a minute that the federal government doesn't uh, still have overall jurisdiction um, over these things. I suspect, and I'm pretty sure, that the federal government could pull these areas of jurisdiction back under the federal umbrella if they choose to in the future. That's generally the way this kind of process works when governments do do this. So anyway, that's, that was the signing ceremony today. And that is historic for Canada. Here's uh, Justin Trudeau speaking about what devolution, what the devolution process has looked like and continues to look like moving forward and why this was such a significant day for this community and the country, actually. For sure going to be a federal election. Oh, hang on a second. Let me save this. I want to save that one. I want to roll this one instead first. Okay, so this was Trudeau just talking about devolution to explain what it is. Cette mesure a été importante dans le cadre de notre travail de réconciliation. Et grâce au leadership des Inuits, le territoire s'est forgé une identité forte en plus de bien servir les gens. Inuit have hunted and fished and lived on these lands for generations, some going back well before recorded history. Today begins a new chapter in the history of Nunavut, a transformative chapter. Now the formal process, formal name for this process is devolution, but in many ways it's more of an evolution an evolution in our partnership as the federal government and the territory, but also an evolution in the progress towards self-determination for Inuit living in Nunavut. It makes me think of the Inuit word, Ayunata, a word that our Governor General, Mary Simon, has shared many times with all Canadians and indeed with the world, a term that means never give up. It's what led to the formation of this territory, what got us to today's agreement, and it's what will make sure that we continue to build a better future for the people of Nunavut.
we have worked together as federal and territorial partners to deliver for the people we serve. A year ago, PJ, you came to Ottawa to be part of a meeting on how we could improve health care across Canada. And in July, your government and ours were able to sign an agreement in principle that will see the federal government invest hundreds of millions of dollars in Nunavut over the next decade. This will improve access to care, including mental health and addictions care, support healthcare workers, and make sure that Indigenous peoples have equal access to high quality and culturally appropriate health services. We've also worked together to deliver $10 a day childcare ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. We're working together to improve services. So blah, 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 blah. I don't really fully trust him. But, uh, I, I need to learn more about this to, again, offer a fully formed opinion on this. But it is significant in this regard. It's, it's significant because you're going to see more of this. I think, in the years ahead, if we have liberal governments in power. I'm not sure what will happen if conservatives are in there. Difficult to say. Trudeau says that Pierre Polyev and the conservatives want to take a step backward. Because as uh, you know, as you hear him say, it's all about climate change and reconciliation. I don't think those really are the, the main issues on the minds of Canadians or even First Nations peoples, honestly, as we head into this next election. But this is what uh, Trudeau had to say today um, with regard to that, just following the signing ceremony. So here's Justin Trudeau talking about the upcoming election now. Uh, there's for sure going to be a federal election within the next year and a half. Um, to what extent is Nunavut a riding that you look at as one you'd want to win back to survive another federal election? Well, I think Canadians, not just in Nunavut, but right across the country are going to have a really important choice coming up in the next election. Do we want to continue to fight climate change? Do we want to still uh, continue to look at uh, responsible partnerships uh, working together to solve big issues? Do we want to continue to work towards reconciliation as an explicit goal and a journey that Canada's on? Those are the kinds of questions people are going to have, have to ask themselves in the next election because the Conservative Party under Pierre Polyev has made it very, very clear that they want to take Canada backwards in all those ways and more. Uh, and I look forward to having these conversations with Canadians in Nunavut and right across the country. Uh, but for now and for the next uh, year and a half plus, we have a lot of work to do and we're going to keep rolling up our sleeves and doing it together. And I think he's going to be defeated in the next federal election because I don't think those are the issues that will resonate with Canadians when it comes time to go to the polls. It's the economy, stupid. And things ain't looking so good right now. JT. His days may be numbered.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay. Another big development in actor Alec Baldwin's uh, case involving that tragic death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the Rust film set in 2021. A New Mexico grand jury, after reviewing evidence presented by special prosecutors, Kerry Morrissey and Jason Lewis, has decided to indict Baldwin on one count of involuntary manslaughter. If he's convicted, he could potentially face up to 18 months in prison. No trial date has been set at this point. Baldwin's attorneys expressed their anticipation for the upcoming court proceedings today, stating, quote, we look forward to our day in court. There's an original line. In response to the indictment, Gloria Aldred, Aldred, she said, uh, we are looking forward to the criminal trial, which will determine if we should be convicted, if he should be convicted for the untimely death of Helena. She's a celebrity type lawyer who has gone after some big names on especially sex assault things, including Bill Cosby. You may, you may recognize Gloria's name. So it was reported back in October that Baldwin and the special prosecutors had discussed a plea deal, but the negotiations were later rescinded before the announcement to bring the case before a grand jury. So a noteworthy point here is that this indictment follows the dismissal of involuntary manslaughter charges against Baldwin by the same New Mexico prosecutors back in April. Baldwin, in previous interviews with a few different mainstream media outlets, insisted that he did not pull the trigger and emphasized that the gun had been declared cold with no live ammunition by assistant director Dave Halls. Halls, he pleaded no contest to a misdemeanor charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon back in March and received a sentence of six months of unsupervised probation. Also back in December of 2021, Baldwin was on um, ABC News with George Stephanopoulos. And uh, at the time he said that... Uh, I think he said, I feel that someone is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't be laughing. This is a tragic story. It's not, it's not funny. The film's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, is also facing charges of involuntary manslaughter. Her trial is scheduled to begin February 21st. She has also entered a plea of not guilty. I don't like to follow too much in the way of celebrity news, but when it comes to something like this, I think it's noteworthy and we will continue to follow it because it is um, 
a safety thing. It is high profile. And you are also dealing with, I think, a political political element here because Alec Baldwin was the guy on SNL who played Donald Trump and also came out swinging so often, taking jabs at, uh, at Trump. And he's no, no, you know, he, he doesn't have too many fans on the MAGA side. That is for sure. And there's, so there's no sympathy flowing from the populist movement, the conservative side. And I'm not even sure how much support or sympathy he's getting from the Dems and the neoliberal wokes because he's kind of a jerk to be blunt. It's just the way it is. That may not be news, but it is my editorial. <laughs> Hang on here a second. We're going to get some other stuff queued up. <laughs> Exile The Knights of Malta Maverick News Join us. The world is watching. Okay, let's... Um since we're talking about the Knights of Malta, how about the Maverick Knights? How about the second version of a pilot episode of the Maverick Knights? Let's let's rule this, and you guys can give me your assessment. I'll look in the chat. Okay, here we go. Maverick Man, also known as Sir Richard, knew that he couldn't face Klaus Schwab alone. He needed the support of the Legion of Maverick Super Knights, a group of individuals who shared his passion for freedom and justice. Sir Richard sent out a distress signal to all the Maverick Super Knights, urging them to gather at their secret headquarters. The message spread quickly, and soon the headquarters was filled with knights from all walks of life, each equipped with unique abilities and unwavering determination. As the knights assembled, Sir Richard stood before them, detailing the dire situation at hand. He explained how Klaus Schwab, the global supervillain, sought revenge after his plan to destroy New York was foiled. Schwab's nuclear-powered electric car was just the tip of the iceberg, and the threat he posed to the world was far from over. The Knights listened intently, their resolve growing stronger with every word. They knew that their duty was to protect the innocent and uphold the values of freedom and justice. Sir Richard proposed a plan to take down Schwab once and for all, combining their unique abilities and working as a cohesive unit. The Maverick Super Knights began training rigorously, honing their skills and devising strategies to counter Schwab's villainous tactics. Some possessed superhuman strength, others had advanced technological prowess, and a few were skilled in the art of espionage. Together, they formed an unstoppable force, ready to face any challenge that came their way. 
Sir Richard led the charge, rallying the knights and instilling in them the importance of their mission. They knew that they were the last line of defense against Schwab's reign of terror. With unwavering determination, they set out to dismantle Schwab's network, expose his evil plans, and bring him to justice. The battle between the Maverick Super Knights and Klaus Schwab's forces was intense. They faced countless obstacles and dangerous encounters, but their unity and determination never wavered. With each victory, they grew stronger, inching closer to their ultimate goal of stopping Schwab's reign of terror. Finally, the Day of Reckoning arrived. The Maverick Super Knights cornered Schwab in his secret lair, ready to put an end to his villainous schemes. A fierce battle ensued, with powers clashing and determination fueling their every move. In the end, it was Sir Richard who confronted Schwab face to face. With a final, powerful blow, Sir Richard defeated the supervillain, ensuring that justice prevailed and freedom triumphed. The Maverick Super Knights stood victorious, having proven that their unity and unwavering dedication to the cause could overcome even the most formidable foes. Their legacy as defenders of freedom would forever be remembered, and the world would be safer with Schwab's reign of terror brought to an end. See, I'm thinking um, maybe the that version or that style might be more fitting because instead of like a superhero spandex suit, it's suits of armor because it's Maver the Maverick Knights. And I'm thinking too that, you know, because we have actual knights in our midst here in the Maverick family that we integrate our actual knights as characters into the storyline. So I think that would be pretty cool. What do you think? Are you liking it? Think it could be kind of, um, I think it could be entertaining. It says, Delicia says, gee, Rick, I hope you, you says you're going to be investigated by the, the CMP, the, like the RCMP. <laughs> I hope not. Uh, it's fiction, folks. It's what it is what it is. It's fiction. With, you know, based on a true story. RCMP, yeah, RCMP. Yeah. Yeah. Halo says Pandex is too gay. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like I like the, the the armor, actually. And Sandy says, Super Knights and the Ladies. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I agree. Isabel says, Maverick Knights much better. I agree. I think so, too. So I'm glad I get your, your feedback so we can go with that more in, in, in the, the style and the theme. And Choosy says, let's just find the order of multi-headquarters. Okay. <clears throat> Anybody know what the address is? How hard can it be to find the... Uh, the Knights of Malta headquarters in Canada. It's got to be in Ottawa, I would think, right? It must have an office or something. Maybe we can go down there and pick it. Pick it. I don't know. I'll, I'll do a search. See if I can find an address. And Yvonne says, Schwab or Klaus Chaos. That's a good name, too. Maybe... Could just change the name up a little bit so that people get the idea, but just keep him 
sort of uh, copyright free. Yeah. Helena says the first one was very funny. <laughs> 666 Turdo Lane. Yeah, it could very well be the proper address. I'm not sure. Anyway, what else do we have lined up for you? There was all kinds of news tonight. Let me check my list of stories. Sports Illustrated, The Ship Docking, Kevin O'Leary. Man, we've kind of burned through a lot of this stuff. Oh, there is this uh, couple of things here. There's this story about Quaker Oats. They, uh, they're recalling product. Here, I'll show you. This is getting a fair bit of attention because there's a class action lawsuit to go along with this now. Quaker Oats recall leads to Canada-wide class action lawsuit. A Vancouver-based law firm, according to this report by CTV, has filed a class action lawsuit against the Quaker Oats Company on behalf of Canadians who purchased or claimed to have fallen ill from consuming products that were recalled due to potential salmonella contamination. Slater Vecchio LLP, who filed the class action in British Columbia, said it is seeking to represent persons who have suffered harms and losses from consuming or purchasing Quaker and other products. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency recalled 38 Quaker products on January 11th, including Quaker brand granola and cereal products. A few days later, the agency recalled more than 30 yogurt and parfait products that contained the previously recalled granola. So salmonella, people got sick. Now you've got a class action lawsuit. Also... An Amazon employee collapsed and died after going outside as part of a fire drill. This happened not too far from me. There is an Amazon fulfillment center just up the highway in a town called Talbotville, just south of London, Ontario. This is the, uh, the gentleman, Paulo D'Souza Bezerra, 50 years old. I have a photo here. I guess these folks had to go outside for a fire drill. And it was very, very cold. There was a cold weather warning in effect. And this gentleman went outside with everybody else. They were out there for a while. Um, we're told officially like around 17 minutes. Some people were so cold they tried to get into their cars. And then there are reports that Supervisors told people who were trying to get warm in their cars because it was so cold to get out. Anyway, they all went back inside. And that, uh, that poor gentleman collapsed and passed away. The exact cause of death not known. It's being looked into. But because they had just been outside in that extreme cold it is receiving a fairly high level of scrutiny tonight. In addition, Leo sent this to me. If you're old enough 
old like me, you may recall the uh, Scott Peterson case. Scott Peterson was accused of murdering his wife, Lacey Peterson. This goes back oh, more than 20 years. Well, tonight, the case is being revisited. Here, maybe I can show you a, a, a picture of Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson. There is new evidence that has come out, and there is some. speculation that this might prove that he is actually innocent after spending all this time in prison. He's always said he was innocent. I don't think he got much sympathy, honestly, through the, through the media. The public, I don't think, was supporting him. Just seemed highly suspicious at the time. Convicted. He was convicted of two counts of murder in 2004. It was a controversial decision, later upheld by the Supreme Court of California. Lacey Peterson's deaths, or death, it was um, the stuff of like national, international headlines and the, um, the sentence was commuted to life in prison after several appeals And Scott Peterson has remained behind bars despite questions about what some people say is circumstantial evidence that was presented by prosecution during the trial. So tonight, the case has been picked up by an organization called the Innocence Project, an organization that works to exonerate people who have been convicted wrongfully in court cases. Definitely a story worth looking at if indeed Scott Peterson is eventually found innocent through this new evidence that apparently has emerged. I think it will end up being the stuff of discussion in the years ahead as people just debate things like capital punishment because you'll be looking at this case and saying, well, look at this guy. He was wrongfully convicted. If he had been executed, he, he would have you know, been put to death wrongfully. And that in itself would have been an injustice. So this might end up being a case like that. We shall see where it goes. We'll see what the quality of the evidence is. Here's Donald Trump. I'm not sure how fresh this is exactly, but uh, I'm going to share it with you because I know you're going to want to see it. <laughs> and this is why he's probably one of the reasons he's going to win the next election, likely. Does anybody think he's going to make it to the starting gate? I mean, the guy can't find his way off of a stage. Look, here's a stage. Here's a stage. I've never seen this stupid stage before, right? I've never seen it. But if I walk left, there's a stair. And if I walk right, there's a stair. And this guy gets up. Where am I?
where the hell am I? Does any <laughs> it's a valid point. It absolutely is a valid point. You know, there was also a post tonight, and I'm not putting I'm not really putting much credibility behind this. I don't think it's true. But there was a post on Truth Social. No, it was on Twitter from some site saying that, you know, that they're like, um, they post Donald Trump stuff, like supposed to be like news type content, but it's just all Trump. And they're saying that they received a lawsuit from the World Economic Forum. I don't think I have this up anymore. Yeah, telling them to stop posting on Twitter. I think, honestly, it was just clickbait. If it was true, then I would be very interested in, uh, in finding out more about it. But it did remind me of something that dates back um, all the way back to August of last year. And it involves Vivek Ramaswamy who had a lawsuit with the World Economic Forum, he sued them because he said that uh, they had wrongfully connected him to their organization. They created a, in his words, a false perception that he was affiliated with the organization. So they settled out of court and he donated the money that he received to a conservative nonprofit organization. He had hit the WEF with a lawsuit in a Cincinnati, Ohio court because they did not remove his name from uh, their 2021 list of young global leaders even though he declined the nomination to the list and requested multiple times for them to remove his name. So I just draw your attention to that tonight because it shows that sometimes what we think we know or what we are told is not always entirely accurate. I think I have a clip here that we can actually run of him from that time. Old world view, which said that a small group of elite fought a revolution in 1776 to say that we, the people, settle our differences through free speech and open debate in the public square in a constitutional republic where every citizen's voice and vote counts equally. That rejected the old world view, which said that a small group of elites decide in the back of palace halls how to address the modern equivalents of climate change or racial injustice. Well, that monster is rearing its head again. And we, the people, have to stand on the side of saying no. Stand up with the spine and reject the merger of state power and corporate power together to do what neither could on its own. I have been one of the most vocal advocates of our sovereignty as a nation. And I have been one of the most vocal opponents 
of, say, the ESG movement that politicizes our capital, capital markets, or globalist institutions like the World Economic Forum that erode on the sovereignty of self-governing republics like the United States of America. So it was a particular mystery when the World Economic Forum, after I had written against their agenda through my book, Woke Inc. and Otherwise, happened to name me on a list of so-called young global leaders with other so-called successful young Americans and young people around the world. I rejected their award. I declined it. I said that I deeply disagreed with the values of the World Economic Forum and that I wouldn't be a good fit for inclusion. I said it respectfully. A few months later, I was told that my name showed up on their website anyway. I contacted them. I told them to take it down. They had the gall to still leave my name. Yes, I was a successful person in this country, so they thought they could use my name and image along with people like Mark Zuckerberg or others who they had named, Elon Musk, that they had named in the past. I wasn't going to let them get away with that. And so what I did is I said that I'm going to stand up for what's right. I sued them. I filed a lawsuit saying that this was wrong. And I wanted to demand that they would not only take down my affiliation with them and apologize for it, but also to make sure and commit that they would never try to do the same thing to anybody again, pull that trick on anybody else. I was prepared to go to the fullest extent because I had the arguments and the facts and the law on my side, and we were not going to stop and let them off the hook. Well, I'm pleased to say that we got exactly what we set out to do. The World Economic Forum has now officially agreed to exactly what I demanded of them. They've issued a public apology. They have furthermore importantly made a hard commitment that they will never add someone to this young global leader or similar list without express consent again, making sure they're not going to get away with these dirty tricks. And though I wasn't in this for the money, there was also a financial component to the settlement. What I've said is the money that I got out of that, I don't want that money. I'm directing it to the America First Policy Institute, the institute that probably was the most opposite of the World Economic Forum's agenda to which I've been a donor over recent years. I'm directing any payment I receive from this settlement straight to them because this isn't about me. This is about this country and our future. And what we really need today is more leaders with a spine, not just going to write books as I have, not just even starting companies like I have, like Strive to fight against the ESG movement, but to stand up and go further. That's what I do in court. But more importantly, that is what I will do as the next president of the United States. And we will stop at nothing until we have restored the sovereignty of the United States of America and the ideals, the 1776 ideals of the American Revolution that set this nation into motion. So that was, uh, like I said, what was that? April? August uh, of last year. I draw your attention to that because I know that a lot of people level accusations of so-and-so being WEF and this guy's being WEF and this guy's with the WEF. Uh, among those people being targeted as uh, WEF members is Pierre Polyev of the Conservative Party of Canada. And uh, there was, uh, I've seen the, what appears to be a screenshot 
of him on the WEF website that was removed. But I know that through my research, the ones that were sent to me were not actually from the World Economic Forum website. Those screenshots. Other people, you know, have other tracing and so on. So I, I don't know. Um, I haven't seen hard evidence that Polyev was is that was ever actually a WEF member. He says he wasn't. And says that uh, what else does he say that any cabinet members, cabinet ministers in his in his government, he forms government will will not be members of the World Economic Forum. He won't permit it. So I know that's what a lot of people want to hear. Will he actually follow through? Well, there's only one way to find out. Get him elected and then see what he does. He's a politician. They're all politicians. Ramaswamy, not going to be the president this time around anyway. Now throwing his support behind Donald Trump. And did Tim Scott come out do anything yet? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, let me take a quick break. I'm just going to duck in and see if there's anything going on at the Trump rally. Maybe that's where this is supposed to happen. That would be the most likely place. So let's see what happens with Tim Scott. Give me a minute here. I will be right back. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The, the world, world is, is watching. Yupper, he's in New Hampshire, and I think I've got it. It's coming up. Tim Scott endorsing Trump. Let's go to New Hampshire, shall we? And get the action as it unfolds. Here we go. Here's Donald Trump. And I'm watching this. And he goes, Donald Trump Jr. will go to prison because of what he did with Russia. Now, talking about my son is going to go to prison because of something they know is a total hoax. It's not like they believed it was maybe true. They knew it was because they made it up. It was a scam. 
It was written. No, think of it. And he's saying, think of it, you have a son. And I called up my son. I said, are you okay? He says, yeah, I don't know anything about Russia. What's going on? He knew nothing about Russia. This guy in the fourth row right here, he knows more about Russia than my son knew. <laughs> and, but think how bad you have to be as a person to do that. So he's got a scam. They know it's a scam. It's a made-up story to try and justify why she lost, okay? She lost because she had no personality. She lost for a lot of reasons. No, they said she's, well, that too, I would say this. She's evil. That's interesting. But, but what kind of a human being would say, we're going to put somebody in prison because of something that we made up that we know is a phony thing? Bad people, right, Steve? Bad people, you know? They're bad people. Look for Tim Scott. But tonight I'm truly up. honored to uh, bring a man on stage, and I've known him for a long time. And we just happened to get lucky. I talked about Opportunity Zones. I said, I wonder if we could get him in from Washington. He travels very quickly because he does happen to be with us. And he gave me a tremendous endorsement two days ago. And he's going to say a few words to you. And he's a highly respected gentleman, and he's a wonderful friend. And remember, he's, you know, uh, I'm running against somebody from his state. So it's not, it's not that easy to do. I mean, she is, she is running from the state of South Carolina, which, by the way, where I'm, I'm leading her by over 50 points. So I don't know what the hell kind of a job she did, but in South Carolina. But he's a senator from South Carolina. He's a fantastic man, Tim Scott. Donald Trump country. Oh, yeah. Is it? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You know, we. We love you. Thank you. Let me say. We need a president who will close our southern border today. We need Donald Trump. We need a president. We need a president who will unite our country. We need Donald Trump. We president who will protect your social security and my mama's social security. We need Donald Trump. We need a president today who will stop the crime and recklessness in the streets. We need a president who will restore law and order. We need Donald Trump. Oh, we need a president who will lower our taxes and not raise our taxes. We need a president like Donald Trump. We need a president who understands the American people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. We need, we 
president, our foreign adversaries are afraid of and our allies respect. We need, you see, we need a president who doesn't see black or white. We see a, a president who sees Americans as one American family. We need, and that's why I came to the very warm state of New Hampshire <laughs> to endorse the next president of these United States, President Donald Trump. Thank you, Tim. That's great. Very, very good man and a very respected man. And I appreciate that he came all the way over. You know, you could just put it out over truth. We got to go with truth. It's the best. But we put it out and uh, just a respected guy. And having his endorsement means a lot. We have tremendous numbers of endorsements. They're pouring in right now. But having Tim is very important. So now is the time. And you see that through what was just said for the Republican Party to unify. We have to unify. We have to go after these crazy people that we're dealing with. Instead of wasting hundreds of millions of dollars attacking Trump and others, we need to come together and focus all our energy and resources in defeating crooked Joe Biden, our worst president. So worst president. Sadly, not everyone is willing to put our country first. We have to put America first here in New Hampshire. Nikki Haley has made an unholy alliance with rhinos, never Trumpers, Americans for no prosperity. Did you ever hear of Americans for no prosperity? Globalists and radical left communists to get liberals and Biden supporters to vote for her in the Republican primary, because that's what they do. They questioned me about that today. They said, oh, Democrats don't vote. They already signed up almost 5,000 Democrats to vote. That's your governor's fault. He could have ended that very easily. But he doesn't do the job. Maybe he's got something else in mind. I think he's lazy, actually. You want to know the truth? In Iowa, nearly 50% of Haley's voters said they were voting for Biden in November. So the people that voted for her, and think of it, 50% said they're going to vote for Biden in November. And now the leftists are spending millions and millions of dollars to flood your airways with Nikki propaganda. It's Nikki propaganda. And she's not doing, she's not going to do the job. I can tell you, I had plenty of experience with her. She's fine. She's okay. She's not bad, but she's not going to do the job. All you need to know about Nikki Haley is that every corrupt and sinister group we've been fighting for the past seven years is on her side. They're all putting up America first patriots. They're, they're all, they're all people that are fighting our America first movement and our patriots. And we can't take a chance. Our country is so far behind. We had a great country three years ago. Now we have a country that's in terrible distress like never before. The people behind Nikki Haley are pro-amnesty. They're pro-China. They're pro-open borders. They're pro-war, pro-deep state. And they're actually effectively pro-Biden. He's the only one that doesn't know it, actually, if you want to know. <laughs> Our movement is pro-borders, pro-jobs, pro-freedom, and pro-America. Pro-America, it's very simple. Pro-America. And we know the story. MAGA. Will he make America great again? 
I've never seen anything quite like this. And I'm getting old. I've seen I've seen quite a bit. Quite a bit. You know, I was talking about free trade last night. It's part of a an unusual little commentary that I made. It was kind of a personal account. I appreciate, by the way, all of the um, the kind responses that I received last night. Um, I did give you kind of a, a glimpse into a bit of my personal life. I don't really usually do too much of that. I don't really like to. I like to kind of keep things focused on the news, not on me. But I did bring it up because I know that... Um, you know, I was talking about some some personal things. And uh, I did that because I know that everybody goes through those things. And I knew that everybody out there can could relate to what I was talking about. I was talking about losing my brother. And uh, I got some really kind, heartfelt responses from people, too many to respond to. But thank you for kind words but you know everybody loses everybody eventually it's just the, the cycle of life and I was talking about politics and opportunity and I mentioned free trade I just wanted to rewind a little bit just very briefly very briefly and talk about free trade you know it was the 19... 80s and we were being sold the idea of free trade it was a major issue if you went back at, in those days it was the socialists who were against it it was the conservatives who were for it which made sense to me at the time at least it seemed to on um, the surface they were promoting the new North American free trade agreement you had Brian Mulroney as the prime minister in Canada you had Reagan in the United States, president, they were pushing free trade. They were getting free trade. Or so we thought. We were told that it was free trade. But that was just a name. Over time, it became very evident to me that you may have had some degree of freer trade. It changed the auto industry. It changed manufacturing. But I, I wanted to just mention it tonight because that free trade agreement, NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, Canada, the United States, Mexico, which Trump renegotiated, by the way, you may recall that, with the USMCA. Um, it was never really a free trade agreement. They called it that, but it wasn't. It was a trade agreement. It reduced some tariffs on some goods, but over the as the years went on, and I saw how NAFTA was implemented, I realized that for true free trade to happen, you can't just limit free trade to goods and services well goods 
and some services. You need free trade in labor in order to level the playing field. You see, people could not cross the border. It's not even that simple to cross the border right now and take a job in another country. Canadians can't go to the U.S. or Mexico. A Mexican can't come to Canada just automatically. There's a process in order to, to gain employment. You can't just go to the United States. Some people do and work illegally, but you're not supposed to do that. The reason I just mentioned that is, is because it's that that gives the big corporations the power. It's not true free trade. Because what they did is they outsourced your jobs. They sent the production to other countries and then used the lack of tariffs, the elimination of tariffs, taxation on imported goods. They used the elimination of that to profit, to maximize profit. So you shut down your factory in Canada, move it to Mexico, where labor was cheaper and environmental standards were lower, safety standards lower, overall costs much lower, currency manipulation taking or having an impact there as well. You produce for a lot less, then you ship the goods back into the United States and Canada where the unemployed people <laughs> buy them or the people who are still... Who's, are still lucky enough to have jobs, buy them, and the corporations make more of a profit. And because unemployment increases, you have more social welfare, people demand more social welfare. You see the chain reaction it sets off. But see, if the workers were allowed to cross the border, I thought of this many, many years ago. If workers were allowed to cross the border to follow the jobs, it would address in large part, that issue of just moving the, um, the production from one country to another, although you, you still can't deal with the currency manipulation. And, you know, there are just these other international border issues. But interesting to note, if you doubt Donald Trump and his, uh, his skills as a negotiator and his commitment to I would say even working class people, when you look at that revised trade agreement that he renegotiated, when he went down to Mexico, and when he dealt with the Mexican issue, dealing with Canada and the U.S., it was because of his negotiations that auto workers in Mexico wound up with higher wages. He demanded that because it leveled the playing field. It made factories in Canada and the United States more competitive because it, the, the agreement forces the automakers to pay the Mexican workers more. And while the mainstream media was hammering Trump saying that he was going to, um, he was going to implement measures and the, the negotiations would result in, uh, lower wages for workers, and it was going to be bad for the working class. In the end, it was actually quite the opposite because it leveled the playing field overall. It 
increased costs for Mexico a bit, elevated the um, the wages for the workers there. And because of that, it put less strain, less pressure on downward pressure on the wages in Canada and the U.S., where you had unionized shops and a higher standard of living, higher wages, all of that stuff. CSE, that's what Trump did. Instead of just allowing the companies to go there and abuse the system, abuse a trade deal, he said, no, 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 no. You're going to do that. You're going to treat those workers more like you treat the workers back here. You can't just outsource the jobs that easily. So uh, it made a difference. And he took other steps as well by implementing tariffs, which I never used to be in favor of until I realized what NAFTA was really about, what it really was. It was never actually a free trade agreement at all, which again gave free markets and free market capitalism, free market capitalism, a bad name because people say, well, look what free trade did. No, that's not really free trade, folks. Like so many other government programs, it was actually in many ways the opposite of what it was that they they titled it. So always be aware, <laughs> you can't judge a government program by its cover. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Tonight, of course, we saw Justin Trudeau talking about climate change and reconciliation. You know what that is all about? That is about managed decline, which was also what NAFTA was, I think, largely about too. And anti-colonialism and uh, neoliberal wokeism. And you're going to have to do with less... managed decline. You're seeing it even in our military right now. Some stats that I had written down here. You know, the Canadian military suffers an attrition rate of about 18.5% because they can't keep people. They just can't keep their soldiers. That's part of managed decline as well. And they're having trouble recruiting people. It's all about managed decline. That's what Rush Limbaugh used to say before he passed away. 
The United States was in a state of managed decline. And uh, he blamed heavily Obama for that. And I totally got it, man. Totally got it. I certainly do miss Rush Limbaugh. A lot of wisdom there. Smart guy. Makes you want to fight back, doesn't it? And I think we are making some progress on that front. And maybe for a little inspiration, I'll run now the third pilot in the Maverick Knights series, or Maverick Man, Maverick Knights, I think, probably is uh, the more appropriate title for the series. Let me run this one. Um, again, this is just a pilot. You guys can tell me what you think in the chat. The Rise of Maverick Man, Uncovering Klaus Schwab's Diabolical Plot. Subtitle, Journalist Richard Paul Exposes a Global Villain's Evil Plan to Destabilize the World Economy. Introduction, In a shocking turn of events, renowned journalist Richard Paul has unearthed a sinister plot orchestrated by Klaus Schwab, a global villain hell-bent on destroying the world economy. With stunning evidence in hand, Paul reveals how Schwab plans to blackmail the leaders of nuclear power nations using sex scandals and threats of terrorist violence. This article delves into the details of Paul's investigation, shedding light on the rise of Maverick Man, Sir Richard the Super Knight. Unveiling the mastermind, Klaus Schwab, a shadowy figure with immense power and influence, has long operated under the radar, manipulating world events for his personal gain. However, Richard Paul's relentless pursuit of the truth has finally exposed Schwab's malevolent intentions. As a respected journalist, Paul's credibility and extensive network have allowed him to gather evidence that unravels Schwab's web of deceit. The diabolical plan, Schwab's plan revolves around leveraging the darkest secrets of world leaders to gain control over their decision-making processes. By orchestrating sex scandals and planting seeds of terrorist violence, Schwab aims to create an atmosphere of fear and chaos, forcing these leaders to comply with his demands. The ultimate goal? To systematically dismantle the world economy, leaving nations vulnerable to his manipulations. Uncovering the evidence, Richard Paul's investigation has unearthed a trove of incriminating evidence against Schwab. Through meticulous research, interviews, and anonymous tips, Paul has pieced together a puzzle that reveals the full extent of Schwab's evil plan. From leaked documents to testimonies from whistleblowers, the evidence paints a chilling picture of a man willing to go to any lengths to achieve his nefarious objectives. The hero emerges. Amidst the chaos, one man stands tall, Sir Richard, also known as Maverick Man Knight in shining armor. Armed with the truth, Paul's alter ego takes on the responsibility of exposing Schwab's plan to the world. Maverick Man's unwavering determination and unwavering commitment to justice become the driving force behind his quest to save the global economy and protect innocent lives. The race against time, with Schwab's plan set in motion, Maverick Man faces a race against time to stop the destruction of the world economy. As he uncovers the true extent of Schwab's influence and connections, Maverick Man must navigate a treacherous landscape filled with danger, deception, and unexpected allies. Can he expose Schwab's evil plot before it's too late? Conclusion 
Journalist Richard Paul's groundbreaking investigation into Klaus Schwab's diabolical plan has shed light on a global villain's attempt to destroy the world economy. Through his alter ego, Maverick Man, Paul takes on the daunting task of thwarting Schwab's nefarious scheme. As the world holds its breath, the fate of nations hangs in the balance, waiting for the rise of a hero to save the day. So, I welcome your input. Uh, you can, I'll tell you what, you can email me with ideas for this at uh, maverickmultimedia at mail.com. If you have ideas, just mail them along. I'll take them all in and share them with the team, and we will create something new moving forward. I think it'll be fun. And I'd like to get, you know, the, the, the nights that we have integrated into the story, get you guys integrated into the story. You can help guide the storyline and be in the story. It'll be interactive and we can work on it together. I think it'll be fun. So maverickmultimedia at mail.com. Now, if you prefer, you can just go to our website at mavericknews.ca. Just use the contact form there and send the messages along, send the ideas, get the creative juices flowing so that we can get this Maverick Knights animated comic series turbocharged and off the ground, kick-started and properly debuted. And then I'm not sure exactly what we'll do with it, but I think it's going to be, uh, I think it can be fun. So if you guys want to do it, just let me know. I'm just checking the chat here. Are you liking it? Looks like positive, positive, positive. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Okay. Now, let me just check over on Rumble here. See what you guys are saying over on the Rumble channel. Yeah. All right. Well, just email me, guys, with your ideas. Oh, Celtic Love is back in the chat. Celtic Love. I'm glad you're in there tonight. Just a little message for you. I have someone uh, heading to Hawaii because I know you called in the other night and we're pretty upset about all the children that apparently are missing. So I put the challenge out there, including to you, to uh, just let's get some research done. See if you can find a mother, a father, an uncle, an aunt, a brother, a sister, a cousin, anybody, relatives of any kind for any missing children. We'll get them on the program here. We'll interview them. Missing children from Lahaina. We're told there are thousands, right? So let's go find them. Find me one or two, three, anybody. The children obviously apparently are missing, but if that's the case, let's get a relative on here. Surely they must be out there still looking for all these missing kids. Let's get the relatives on. Where are they? Let's check the chat. Are you there, Celtic Love? 
And if uh, this is the case, then maybe we can be of assistance. But I need your help to try and track some people down. And as I say, I've actually got somebody on their way right now to Hawaii. And uh, they're going to look around, too, and see if they find anything that can help in this regard. So throwing it out there, that's uh, that that request from me to you guys for help, the Maverick family, and anybody else who might be listening, was issued, what was that, about two weeks ago now? So, so far, nobody found, nobody sent over to me. I haven't been able to personally um, connect with anyone to assist with this. And I know Celtic Love, you said, what can we do? What can we do? And uh, Leo said, well, I don't know if there's anything we can do. Well, this is something you can actually do. Get Let's get a relative. Because I'll tell you this, if there were thousands of missing kids in this town where I live, parents would be up in arms. Relatives from far and wide would be coming forward, posting photographs on lampposts, lobbying government online. They'd be online every, every day, every hour demanding that these children be found. Where are they? Thousands of them, apparently. So again, I just leave it with you and uh, we'll check, I'll check back in on this subject again in the nights ahead. And I'll find out from uh, the eyes and ears that I have on the ground in Hawaii soon as well to find out what the situation is actually in Hawaii on this story because one way or another as with everything i want one basic thing most and that is truth and with that folks it is time to wrap up for the night Just looking at a response coming in here. So before I sign off, maybe it is something relevant, important for this particular story. It says the children were taken safely by bus. Nobody hurt among children. That's not the story that I was getting. The story is that the children were abducted by bus. Thousands of them missing. And that's why Celtic Love came, called in so upset. We were told, continue to be told, that there are thousands of missing children. And remember the talk about all the school buses? It was like, why are these school buses here and why are they there? Like they were used to transport the children away as part of an abduction of some kind. So I don't know what the truth is. I seek the truth. So I'm encouraging all of you to go and help. Just get online. Start looking things up. Find out where these children are. Find out what the truth is. And let's get the truth out there. Whatever the truth is. Okay? And so I'll leave it with you guys. I'm going to continue to work on it. That's why I've actually sent someone to Hawaii. 
That's why I sent someone to Hawaii to get the truth on this story. One story at a time we work on. We'll find out. Guys, with that being said, again, it is time to wrap up for the night. I love you all. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's Saturday. I should be here. Nah, I, I, there's a chance I might not be because my mom wants me to go and see her. So I'll see how that goes earlier in the day. I might need to go see my mom. So if I'm not here, it's because of family stuff. I hope you understand, but I will do my very best to be here for you guys again tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.